We've recently renamed Everyday Design Podcast into Designing Happiness. So we're reissuing our previous favourite Everyday Design episodes under the new name Designing Happiness. And please subscribe and follow for a new Designing Happiness series, which will be issued in September 2021. Welcome to Designing Happiness, the podcast to empower and educate homeowners on how to best deliver your extension or renovation project to make sure the end result is perfect for your lifestyle, personality and taste. This week we are talking about the test it stage, the final stage of your project where you can achieve that professional quality finish or be left with little annoyances for years to come. First, let me introduce myself. I'm Abigail Hall, technical design expert and consultant to the construction industry. For almost 15 years, I've been delivering very high-end and complex new build and historic renovations with some pretty hefty budgets. I have also undertaken a fair number of my own renovation projects with much smaller and restricted budgets. I've become an expert in how you can use design to enhance your well-being and happiness in your home. And I want to share with you my knowledge, contacts and a few of the lessons I've learned along the way. Now, each week we talk to a different expert about their product or service so we can learn the technical jargon, the easy mistakes to avoid and how to get the finish you want on time and in budget. And this week we are very lucky to have Siobhan Niles, who is a construction project manager. Now, she started her trade on site 13 years ago and has worked her way up. It was really, really quickly realised that she had an eye for fine detail and the tenacity and formidable personality to get the, the tired tradespeople who just want to leave the project to get them back and to do an A1 finish. Now, Siobhan and I met on a UNESCO World Heritage Site project. Siobhan was managing a project in a live environment with some of the most fastidious clients you've ever met, where even if a pen was out of place on a desk, um, she was responsible for it. So we're going to learn some fantastic lessons from her about how to do the test it stage and how to go through snagging. So Siobhan, welcome to Everyday Design. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, and we're doing this recording from a distance because we're currently in lockdown. So um, apologies in advance for any little audio glitches we've got. Everyone's very understanding of that. And Siobhan, that must have been diff- difficult for you because you're working in construction from a distance right now. I am, yeah. Working from home as a construction manager is strange. <laughs> well... Even more respect to you that you can get things done from a distance. Sometimes I struggle to get things done when I've got the tradesperson in front of me. So I'm very excited to have you here. Now, let's start with a mistake you've made in the snagging process. I know personally I've lived in a flat with red stickers everywhere for months on end. Um, So tell me, have you ever gone through this process and it hasn't been perfect? And what have you learned from it? I've made the same mistake more than once. I've made the same mistake more than once. Um, I don't often give it enough time. Time, yes. Um, and that could be, it's, if it's a home project, you may be busy at work, you may just be busy at work and not fitting, not not affording it the right time. And it's also important that you snag at the right time of day. You want the best lighting. And if you're not planning your snagging, then you are essentially planning to fail. Yeah, so if you're coming and it's winter and it's seven o'clock at night and you're relying on kind of one bulb that's hanging from the ceiling 
to get you to be able to check plasterworks looking good. Absolutely. You you to, yeah, you want to snag in daylight. You want to daylight is the most critical light there is. It's it's gonna showcase, but it will also highlight any flaws. So you want to snag during the day. So if you, you, you have to plan it that way. If you have to wait till Saturday when you're off work, that's what you must do. Have you you so you've made that mistake where you've thought I can fit this in around kind of something absolutely, else? Absolutely. I've um it, maybe I'm at work and the day slips by and it starts getting to sort of three o'clock and it's approaching the time where it's going to be too dark but you've got to get the list out and you don't you don't get the best finish you don't see the flaws that you would see in daylight and as I said I've absolutely done that more than once (laughs) and of course and then that's it can be quite embarrassing if you perceive that you've done the snagging process sent that list out and then the next day you do go in during the daytime, you know, midday. Absolutely. And there's something obvious. Yes. And it's, that is really embarrassing because you have to go, yeah, I just didn't notice that before. <laughs> Indeed. Sorry Indeed. about that. So tell me, going all the way back, you, we're talking about the snagging process, the test it stage is what I like to call it because it's thinking about testing everything that's in the house. That's right at the end of the project. That's you, You've bought it, you've built it, you're now testing it. But go all the way back to the beginning, the researching stage, the designing stage and the buying stage. Is there anything that I can do at those stages which is going to help me right at the end? Absolutely. That's where you're going to get your gains at the beginning. Um, You need to be thinking about how you're going to use the space. So if it's your kitchen, you want to be thinking about where you want your sockets. You know, if it's your bedroom, you want sockets either side of your bed and you, you need to be thinking of personally I hate to see leads I, I don't want that so when you when it's finished you want to be able to use it so it still looks sleek and contemporary I suppose and so the example of horrible extension lead completely uncoiled which yeah. always has to be for fire safety please if anyone's listening you've got an extension lead coil it just snaking snaking the way from a, a socket in the wall that's about two and a half meters away from where the TV is. Absolutely. That kind of thing. Absolutely. So think about that. Think about to a certain degree you want to future proof it. Not I'm not suggesting that you spend obscene amounts of money future proofing your home, but you want you want to think that maybe you might have the TV on that wall and you might or you might want it on that wall. So for the sake of two sockets and two aerial plates, put them in. Plan it. Think about how you are going to use a space. Where is your sofa going to be? Where is? How are you going to live in that space, no matter what the room is? Um, so that's your first thing. Think about how the doors are opening. In so if there's no point in putting a socket behind the door because you're not going to use it. There's no point in putting a light switch behind the door. Those sorts of things. Just consider when you're coming into your home with your hands full or getting up in the night. Just think about how you use your home. And you also need to think about certain materials that you are buying. So flooring, for example, a lot of that needs to be acclimatised. So you need to plan that in. You need to be buying the materials at the right time. And so can you, can you go into detail about that acclimatisation? That's about a lot of times when you buy something, they will say to you, oh, this needs to sit indoors in the kind of central heated environment or whatever it is. So, yeah, so flooring, a lot of flooring, wood, vinyl, it needs to be in the environment that it's going to be laid in for, I'd say it's average is two weeks, but check 
your individual products because there may be some differences so yeah so you'd you need to have you need to have space for that but it's not as simple as just bringing it into your home it needs to be in the right environment there's no point in if you say for example you're in the plastering stage there's absolutely no point in bringing your flooring in to acclimatize in what is essentially a wet environment when you're going to get covered in plaster Absolutely, and the water, the, it's, it's, it becomes a human environment. You, you don't want that. You need to, you need to plan it. You need to make sure that you've got the appropriate space. Um, so if you maybe, maybe leave a room. If you're doing, if you're talking about, a, I'm sort of talking about this as a, as a whole house renovation. Um, if you are plastering all the rooms, then either get that done really quickly so it's dry, so that then you can then start using the space again like you said putting the central heating on if it needs to be on if it's summer then that's fine just the ambient temperature of the room will be okay but if it is winter you need to have the room up to temperature you want to be at the sort of 20 degrees how you would be comfortable at home and that's really interesting because often what happens is at the snagging it stage something might have been installed that hasn't been acclimatized and you can still see creases in it from where it's been on the roll or it might have Contracted or expanded slightly. So actually what you're saying is going through those processes prevents there being a snag even in the first place. Absolutely. If you if you do not go through these processes, you can find yourself building in a defect. A defect. And that's that's the kind of technical term that you use in the construction industry for anything at the test it snag it stage, which isn't perfect. Absolutely. Um, and something which interesting there, when we talked to our um, expert quantity surveyor, she was very keen to make sure that the contractor gives a programme. So as a homeowner listening now thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to think about is different between in and where they're going to sit and yeah. for yeah. how long. It's back in the plan. Yeah. You need to, as I've said, you need to be planning in your snagging. So you need an idea. You need him. <laughs> you need them to tell yeah. you. You need them to tell you that it's going to take circa 12 weeks. Let's, let's stick with a 12-week programme. And at week three, they're going to, they, if you're buying the materials, you need to have the materials in the house by week three. And then you know that you can work to that. So the programme doesn't need to be anything too elaborate. I sometimes do um, sort of a small programme on an Excel spreadsheet. You know, you've got a list of activities in your column and then along the horizontal you would have just dates and then you can just sort of at a glance you know that on the Wednesday of week three you need to make sure that your flooring's in on the Saturday of week four you need to go and snag the plaster work and it just gives you time Brilliant. And, you, and you can build that up in conjunction with your builder you're not reliant as a, as a end as a person who's doing the work on the flat or a house you're not obligated to come up with that in isolation yourself. You come up with that alongside your builder. With them, absolutely. Just work with them. You have to be available, but they have to tell you when you need to be available. Yeah, perfect. So the when is what we're looking for there. Um, the other thing that I'm interested, you, those are some absolutely brilliant examples. And I think all of us are guilty of uh, for forgetting. We're so used to everything being delivered order it today get it tomorrow Absolutely. we forget that it might need to sit for two weeks yeah. where i'm where i'm thinking about snagging is where perhaps the quality of the install isn't what i thought it would be is there anything that can be done at those early stages to help cover that off um, 
Well, you need to know what you're buying. So depending on, so samples are good. Samples are really good to look at, to touch, to understand what it is that you are purchasing. And knowing its, it's performance specification, knowing what it's capable of, what it, how it should perform. And then, then you're sort of more equipped to challenge if the install isn't correct. Okay, that's really good to know. So I'm trying to think of an example there, um, an extractor fan in a bathroom, for example. Yeah. Um, you know you want one because you hate it when the room gets really steamed up. Indeed. Um, perhaps you have just said to the builder, get the one that's the right size for the space, the yeah. right for the space. And then you come in and you turn it on and you think this is tiny and it's not doing anything. So you can go back to that performance specification and check. But but ideally, for something like that, you would have already in advance agreed it and made sure that it does what you wanted it to. If you're getting the builder into contract, you need to be quite clear on what it is you're purchasing from them, the service you're purchasing from them. So, for example, if you were to say, I want a new kitchen, I want it to be grey slab and I need five sockets and there's an electric oven, say, if that's all the detail you're going to give them, you can have very little scope to argue if it's not what you want. Yes. You need to be specific. You need to say, I've seen this kitchen in this supplier. This is the workshop I want. This is the design. Then you need to be thinking, then you need to be suggesting that you want a socket here for that, a socket there for that, those sorts of things. You you need if you you need to know, you need to be specific about what you want, because otherwise, unfortunately, there's there's nothing to stop a builder purchasing what they consider to be the best value. I agree. And and then what happens at the end is you think you're snagging something that you're saying, oh, it's not what I thought. And actually they're saying to you, this is now a change Absolutely. which you're going to have to pay for. And Absolutely. you don't control. And, and, and we've talked with it again with our quantity surveyor and with our architects. We've talked about the, the process of change. That's very, very expensive because you haven't got good buying power. You're having to do it quickly on the hoof with the builder who's there. And if they say it's a thousand pounds to move that socket. You don't really have a lot. Absolutely. So that's it. You know, if if you don't tell them you want brushed steel socket plates, then you will end up with white plastic ones. Yeah. That yes. And yeah. so consider those. Um, make sure you know what you want and what you are buying. That's brilliant. And that is the, the stage we define that. We talk about with, that with our wonderful architect, where we talk about the designing stage and we clarify if anything isn't absolutely nailed down we we identify that in the buying stage so if you follow the everyday design process you should by the time you've got to the snagging stage have no no question mark about absolutely no gray areas yeah no gray areas (laughs) unless of course that's that's the interior color that you're going for in which case you've got the entire gray area but we're Uh, no, I think you might have answered this a bit, Siobhan, but um, let me just clarify. I, I'm I'm in a building process. The actual buildy bit has ended and my builder is just doing the finishing touchings. They're literally like decorating right now. Um, I haven't done any snagging to date. Is this when I should be starting or should I wait until they finished? You 
do need to snag progressively. It, it needs to be an ongoing process. Don't you don't you don't want to be there every day because that will just create bad feeling amongst you and your builder. But you do it. It is a it's an ongoing process. It, it isn't just something that happens at the end. It the, at the end is the final snag. But it has to be continuous. It must be continuous. You need to, for example, um, plasterwork. So you have to snag plasterwork when it's dry. And we would install what we call a mist coat. So that's just a coat of white paint. And that will identify any blemishes. Rather than putting your final colour on the wall, it will identify any blemishes with a mist coat. You, you can then go around. At this stage, you snag the plasterwork. Again, back to the good lighting. You need to be doing it in really good lighting. And then your plasterer can go around and use like a, a fine filler, which will just fill out any small blemishes ready to receive your final coat of paint. So obviously you don't want to be doing that at the end. You, that must be done at an appropriate time in the programme. Comes back to that programme you were saying about where you agree with your builder when you're going to do the snagging when you're going to sign it off faster work tick happy with that done let's move on yeah and let's, i mean that's not to say that subsequent activities are not going to cause new damage to that paintwork of course you know it could be carrying a worktop in and chip the corner these things can happen and of course you can go back and say that's been damaged throughout the process but the key is continuous snagging Brilliant. I've got in my head about the how I go about that testing it. I'm, I'm working to the programme, I'm daylight, I'm there with the builder. But how do I formally go about communicating that? It feels very overwhelming, like there could be 50 different problems I've identified. Do I just tell the builder on the day? How do I do that? I like spreadsheets um, for this. Really simple. You can... If it's a whole house project, just do a room at a time, write a list. And some things you may not be able to articulate in a few words, so take a picture. Brilliant, yes. Are really good. I use, I use photographs at work to communicate to construction professionals all the time. Um, it really does paint a thousand words. Also, it's a really good record because you can check it, that photo, and look at the repair or whatever it might be that's been done, and you can validate and go, oh, I, I remember what was wrong here. Well, yep, that's definitely disappeared. Absolutely. Uh, that, that, is, that is true. You can write a list and say, so if you write the list, you email it over to your builder, and then two days later, you're at work, the builder's at their office, you're both looking at the list, and it might be difficult for you to remember exactly what you meant in that text because you're not there, you're not looking at it. So the photograph would help you remotely communicate these and, and I will admit that I have made that previously where I've written some fancy thing <laughs> saying mitres not matching corner defect damage absolutely hitting all the words and they phone and said Abby what <laughs> I don't and they phone and say what the hell do you mean and I'm like I look back at what I've written and oh god I don't know honestly I don't know what I mean by that but at the time <laughs> it made complete sense check everything oh wait a minute I, yeah 
Wait a minute, I've got a photo. I'll send a photo over. I'll tell you what I mean. Now, I do know, I do know online, there are quite a few apps that I can get. iSnag, SiteWork, SiteAudit Pro. Some of these are free to download. Some of these you pay. Um, that are, are aimed at, they say they're aimed at construction professionals, but they also say they're suitable for people doing home extensions and renovations. Do you recommend using any of those? I do not recommend you forcing one of those on your contractor. If they use it and they're familiar with it and you're happy that you can learn this new software and use it effectively, then great. They are a really good tool. But if you've just seen one on the App Store and thought, I'll get that and then I'll encourage my contractor to do it, they may not have the IT skills to use it and you will just be creating a problem. Uh, so yeah. I definitely take guidance from them on that. That's that's really, really good advice. Thank you very much for that. And often they will tell you right at the outset, won't they, if they do use something that's quite fancy, you know. Yeah. They'd be proud that they're using it and it would be and it would make their life easier because they are a brilliant tool. I have to say they are a brilliant tool, but they're only brilliant if everybody is willing and capable to use them. I've tried to use them professionally before and sometimes with sort of smaller contractors that don't have the setup, the sort of um for one for better term, like a one-man band sort of outfit that doesn't doesn't use, doesn't have that sort of IT capability, it can be more of a problem, more of a headache. They they prefer an email with a photo and a supporting text narrative and, and that's what they prefer. So I love it. It's sim as simple as that. But it's always good from the from for whoever has identified that issue, whether it is is your architect, if you've got a design professional working with you, or, or and perhaps an interior designer or whomever it is, or yourself, it's quite good to keep all of those problems, defects in one place. So oh, they're all... I have, in the past, found my building a little bit defensive when I found issues. How do you, how do you manage that? First of all, you need to have agreed Generally, they're only defensive when you're identifying defects, I assume, or type, or... Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. So, so it's only when you're identifying that something has slipped. So that goes back to your sort of planning stage. So again, you need to know the dates. So then if, as I said, on week four, you're supposed to be snagging the plaster work, if it's not ready, then that is that is an issue that they have created. So planning and stick into the program and when it comes to defects I would suggest you just do at each snagging process at each snagging stage just produce a list I, if you can go by yourself so if you're not in so I'm sort of talking about this as though it's a house project that you're not living in but go with me so if you're not living there you go there for the Saturday when you're off work you produce your list one list for that snagging point and you send it over Allow them to digest it, but you need to agree defined timescales. So you will snag on this day. You will issue the snag list on that day. And then they have got an agreed timescale for their comments. You need to hear their comments because it may be relevant. It may be you, you may have missed something. It may be installed to the correct specification, but it's a lack of understanding or it may be incomplete. So yes. listen to the comments that come in. But I think it's all about agreeing parameters at the beginning of who's going to do what, when, and only one snag. Don't keep sending plenty. Like, 
message after message of, oh, I've seen this now, I've seen that now. You have, there has to become a point where it's unreasonable for you to keep going back and adding more things to the list. So again, make sure that you afford the right time to it. Do not rush it. At each stage, assume you're only going to snag this stage once. Produce one yeah. list and keep the emotion out of it. I know it's your home. And I know that it means more to you than it will mean to anybody else because it is your home. But try to keep it factual and, and, and keep the emotion out of the discussion. That's really, really good advice. And I think so much on everyday design, we talk about these very practical and technical things that we can do. But time and time again, we come back to the fact that these are our dream projects where we're investing probably it's probably the second biggest amount of money we've invested after the purchase. After of the purchase, absolutely. And of course, we're going to get emotional about that. We're paying a huge amount of money to achieve a dream. But actually, this this individual who you're communicating with has the skills and the capability to create your dream. You want them to be with you. You don't want to create animosity there. And they want to create your dream for you because you will be the best advert for them for their next 10 jobs. Absolutely. I, I've, I always say this at work. It's not, usually it's not what you ask somebody, it is how you ask somebody. Yeah. And relationships are really important in this sort of work. So again, when you're, I mean, you, you never know how relationships are going to change. But when you do select your building you do employ them make sure that a yes they tick your professional capabilities but b you have to have some sort of rapport with them you have to feel like you can talk to them you have to feel like if you if you don't if you don't feel like you can work together for the next 10 12 15 weeks at this point then it's probably better that you don't and that's brilliant, Siobhan. That The advice that we got during our design it stage from Brigitte Clement, who our professional architect, said exactly the same thing. <laughs> so there, there's something there, you know, when people are repeating this or accepting this advice. I also think you might be, have a second job as a life coach, Siobhan, <laughs> because... Uh, uh, construction management is quite full on, so probably not going to be... You don't have a lot of spare time. <laughs> Now, some of the problems I've found sometimes I think are a bit more subjective. So, for example, I think a door is too stiff to move, but the builder or maybe someone on site has said, no, no, that's fine. In an instance like that, how do I best manage that? Um, for that particular example that you've just given, then you need to operate it in front of them. If you're telling them that your door is stiff and it's binding for you, then demonstrate that in front of them. They'll see that, and yeah, they may be stronger than you. They may be pulling it a bit tougher than you. But you don't want to. You don't want to have to fight with your bedroom door every day. So be it. But again, keep the emotion out of it. But go there. Be there with them and demonstrate that you are struggling to operate this in the way that it should be. And again, any if you've if you've selected the right character to work with they're going to accept that okay yeah that they may be a little bit more aggressive with it they may be a bit more confident to sort of yank it and that's not how you want it to operate you you want a smooth opening in your and and then things like sort of like colors and things like that you again you need to specify what paint you want you want to spend if you've got a particular brand that you want 
then you specify that. You don't suggest that you want that colour because then they can colour match that at any other and I've and I've seen this, and I, I we were uh, prior to recording this podcast when we were kind of shooting the breeze about some of the experience we've had. It is very very easy for us at the uh, the research it stage and the design it stage. It's very easy. I mean, I personally love to do it myself. Grab a load of farrow and ball, little green, whatever it might be, yeah. test them, and then I'll say to my decorator, "Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, here's here's a list of colours." But if I haven't specified and said I want Farrow and Ball brand or Little Green brand, they can go to Leyland's or Dulux and get the version of, which is like a, a match. And then you can be in this, sub, it sub, then it is subjective of, I don't think that's the colour that I chose. Mm. And so actually if I have specified, and they'll show me the painting and it'll say Leyland's on it. And I'll go, no, I, I said Little Green. And they'll be like, but it's a Leyland's Little Green colour. So it can be really, it can be really subtle, can't it? Absolutely, and and if that's what you if you, if you really know that that's the colour you want, then again specify. Um, and if, back to samples, tangible samples. It, it's important to have a benchmark to measure from, so it does remove the subjective nature of of snagging of of except of signing off works. And what I love about that as well is when it's subjective, it automatically feels emotional as if I need to defend my yeah. position and you're going to take. Whereas if you, as you say, if you've got that sample, it's not, you're not emotional. You're just like, does it match? Yes or no. <laughs> and anyone, and actually, even if it depends if you've got a project manager or if, you've, if your architect is still around, your architect can do that for you. They've got the piece. They don't need to express an interest of whether they like it or not. It's simply, <laughs> is that the same? Yes or no? Absolutely. Yeah, that's really, really good answer. Now, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are listening to this that probably are going to completely understand the tone of this question. I just want the builders out my house. How can I get this testing stage done and over as quickly as possible? Rushing isn't a great idea. That's um, I would absolutely, if possible, avoid rushing. I know that it can feel intrusive for someone in your home if you're living in it and they're still there, if you're not living in it and you just want to get home, I know that it's disruptive. But just think that when you're sat down, relaxing at home, when you move you moved back in, what you don't want is to have this defect that every time you sit down to watch the TV, you can see because you will find that more annoying than waiting an extra week or an extra two weeks to snag it properly, seeing, seeing this glaring defect every day. So I don't think rushing it is the answer. I, I think go back to if, we're, if you're planning it and you're sticking to the deadlines and you're making yourself available when you said you were going to and, and driving the build. I'm not suggesting that you just sort of leave them to it at two week or three week intervals, drive them, ask them whether to be part of the process from start to finish, rather than trying just to sort of get involved at the end and trying to push them and rush them out. It's a, no, it's a, it's a brilliant answer. And, and I've been there. I've been in that position of I'm not living in the property and I just want to get back in. And it's not, it's pure. And again, yeah. I just want to be in my home. Um, and it is, and 
case in point, and I'll come back to our first question, the mistakes I've made. I am currently having to redo works in a bedroom where I, I accepted it. I just said, it's fine. Just leave it. I can't uh-huh. no more. I can't have anyone else in. Just go, leave it. I'll live with it. And now I'm having to pay out of my own pocket to redo something where I chose to say, no, no, just leave it. Yeah. So even, and this is not that I hadn't got the experience. This is the fact that we all get to that point of just project and design exhaustion. Absolutely. Um, it happens professionally. It happens and um, any projects I've done at home. It's been the same, but it is important. But it's important to remember. And I think if I'd had you there with me, Siobhan, and I was probably going into work and chatting to you with your, I know you say you haven't got time, but you're automatically doing it with your life coach hat on. You'd be saying <laughs> to me, Abby, don't, don't rush it. Don't tell them that that's okay. Ask for a break if you need to. Ask for a week off. Yeah. Ask for them to come back after Christmas, whatever it is. But say that 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 is not done, and that you need to get that redone and have a little program of works to fix that. Absolutely. Yeah. Program is really important, and it is really helpful because again, it takes out any sort of well. I thought you would be finished by now. Yes. <laughs> it's there. You should have been finished by now. Not I. I decided that this was enough time for you to have done this. No, we agreed. Yes. This would be okay. good. Again, it's that lack of, it's not subjective, so it's not emotional, it's fact-based. That's it. Um, now, talk to me. It's Let's say I've been in the property, the, the work's all done. I've been in there for a couple of months and the builders have been out for that amount of time. And I've just noticed an issue. So I've only just noticed it. I've been living in it for a couple of months. Is it reasonable to call back the builder? Depends on what it is and it depends on how your contract was put together with the builder um, for starters um, and you also need to consider is it an item that I should have been maintaining and have I been maintaining it properly so it's important that when the before the builder goes if they've installed any new machinery I use the word plant I'm sort of, sort of thinking boilers those sorts of things you need to make sure that you know what you should be doing to maintain it is there, if it's a drain, does the filter need to be cleaned out? Are you doing that? So that'd be my first point of call. Check yep. you are maintaining it properly. Um, and then absolutely, it, there are things that you can call the builder back for, depending on the scale of the project. If it's a, if it's a extension, let's say, um, potentially there's a, a single story extension there'd be foundations um and potentially there could be movement yeah that's perfectly normal the builder may say to you it's only been it's only been two or three months i suggest you leave it for 12 and then we can come back and look at the movement because you it's best to go through a whole season if you think for something like movement in the ground weather will impact how that you know water drought and the sort of that sort of thing that will affect movement so speak to them immediately but ask them what they think and for certain things it, it may be reasonable for them to say let's leave it another six months for, for that um if it's sort of a blemish in the paintwork i'm going to say no you, you should have spotted that you should have spotted that at some reasonable if it you if it's cosmetic really you should have picked that up um, yeah and and also and I'm afraid I do see this a lot a lot of times when I have clients they move back into a pristine property and they get used 
to it being pristine six months down the line it has got scuffs <laughs> yeah best will in the world your fabulous accessories the handbag gets knocked against something that's that's day-to-day wear and tear that's yeah. not on the builder if you if it's some product that you for some reason you've specified it and you think it shouldn't mark and yeah. therefore you think the wrong product has been installed there's a little nuanced conversation there but normally that kind of stuff is, is regular wear and tear yeah but what I love, what I love that you said there was, ask them. So don't make it immediately their fault. Kind of almost have a conversation. Yeah. With them. yeah. And maybe that's where a photo could come in. Look, I've seen this. I'm not sure if this is normal. Dot dot dot. Kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, wait for their response. And generally, generally, trades people are they enjoy what they do and they want to do a good job. Like generally, that is. They're professionals. They want to do a good job. They want to walk away knowing that they've got a happy customer and potentially you're going to give them either more business or advertise for them. Generally, people are reasonable and they want to give you the product that you've asked for and that you've bought, more importantly. Yeah. And I think and if if genuinely you are asking for something that is above and beyond where is wear and tear for example if they it, there is a little bit of own expectations isn't there of what what oh. you expect for them to do and please anyone listening i don't think our listeners are like this but don't take advantage of someone um i have lots and lots of um trade contractors say they feel obligated to go in and help but actually there, there comes a time where it needs to be you're living in the house now. The maintenance of it is now your responsibility. They're not your caretaker. I mean, I get this professionally as well. You sort of, I sort of built lots of things and you go to a school six months later and obviously children have been in there. <laughs> yeah. we're, not, we're not your caretaker. We're not your maintenance contractor. And that's, you need to separate that. You, it's your home. You are responsible for maintaining it learn how it yeah, is brilliant but if, but if in doubt oh. if in doubt a little a photo and a message oh. I'm, this skirting looks like it's coming away from the wall here's a picture of it and they might say yeah we did we, we used an adhesive it was a, a plant dot and dab application oh. yeah failed I'll come back in and fix that no yeah absolutely that's it yeah it's not what you ask people it's how you ask them I love that. What perfect way to end. Siobhan, thank you so much for coming on. You have been life coach and snagging (laughs) testing station. For more information on today's show, any links we've mentioned or to find other episodes, please go to our website, eddpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eddpodcast. And please subscribe and rate this podcast as it helps other homeowners learn how to design their happiness. Thank you for listening. I've been Abigail Hall and this has been Everyday Design.